0: Good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, If you're Joining us this morning online, we want to say welcome. We're we're grateful that you're here. Maybe you're new online, or maybe you're new here this morning. I see a lot of new faces. Uh, we just want to extend a, a really special welcome. We're really grateful that you've chose to come and to worship with us this morning. If uh, if your kids uh, uh, spent the week with us with VB, at VBS, we're very grateful and honored and privileged to have gotten to serve your kids this week, and we had a really great time, as as uh, as you can see. Um, so right now we have been uh, doing a a series. We've been going through the Psalms of Ascent and the Psalms of Ascent are are Psalms 120 through 134. And these were Psalms that, um, that were sung by pilgrims as they were uh, making their way to Jerusalem, uh, to, uh, to attend the major festivals there. So today we are on Psalm 128 and so uh, we are going to continue on through that. Now, remember, if we look back, let's, let's look back really quick into Psalm 127. And, and it says this, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So Psalm 127 had the, the idea or the, the context of that we are building something. And we talked last week about how we're all really uh, in, in our lives, we're, we're building um, a, a spiritual home within our, within our lives. And, and look, unless God is brought into that equation and brought into um, our homes, that, that many of the things that we do or how we build or what we're building on foundationally will really be in vain. Psalm 128 goes on to talk about within our home and, and what does this look like. So remember, uh, Psalm 127 was written uh, probably by David to Solomon, his son who was going to ultimately bring uh, build the house of the Lord, uh, the temple in Jerusalem. Psalm 128 says this, it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see the, your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So Psalm 128 says this. It starts this way. How blessed is everyone. Who? Everyone. Everyone is blessed who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Now, this, this concept, this idea of fearing the Lord is almost kind of an interesting concept. It almost seems to be something that's contradictory, especially out of the same God who's told us time and time again to fear not, to not be afraid. Um, I felt like uh, several years ago, God gave me a kind of a decent analogy to, to understanding this. And, and, and what it was was our wood stove. We have a wood stove that we heat our house with in the, in the winter. And um, when, when uh, Caleb was little, we, you know, we did the same thing that everybody gets. You, you, you get the wood stove going, and it's their first time really around it. And now they're mobile, and they can get to it. And you say, hot, hot, which I think actually draws them to it. You know, they're like, well, what is that, man? That's hot. I got to check that out. But right, you're trying to tell them you're like, no, this is hot, no, don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. What do we all do? We all touch the stove. We, we, have to, we have to get a reality in our lives about what that looks like, about why not to touch the stove. So guess what happens? He touches the stove. He gets an entirely new perspective on the stove, right? The, the stove now becomes something uh, very real, very tangible. It's, it's a good thing, but, but, but the relationship between boys and the stove has now changed. And guess what? They started to adapt their behavior in a way in which they didn't hurt themselves around this stove, right? They understood the reality of this stove, but guess what didn't happen? It wasn't the kind of fear that when they came out of their rooms or came downstairs and saw the stove, they didn't curl up in the fetal position and go, ah, the stove! You know what the first thing they do in the mornings is? They go enjoy the warmth of the stove. They go close to the stove. They, they, um, they, they enjoy what the stove provides. It's their favorite place to be first thing in the morning. But they never start wrestling matches right next to the stove, (laughs) right, ever. The wrestling match is always carefully mapped out to not be near the stove because there's a right understanding between the stove and the person, and, and this is how really this fear of the Lord works. It's a sense of awe. It's a sense of reverence. It's a right understanding of the creator creation or creature relationship. It, it, it begins to show us that, that God is, he's real and that he's big and that he holds all power in the universe. As a matter of fact, if he ever ceased to let go of all power in the universe, it would fly apart immediately. The power in every atom in this universe would just explode. When we see the power that's contained within the universe and the creative potential of this universe that we live in, it's meant to guide us into the idea of who this God is, that he's bigger than this, that he's outside of it, that he transcends his creation. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 19 says says that the heavens declare the glory of God, right it's because when we look at the stars or when we're up on the mountain and we see the milky way and we're like wow just look at that and we're in awe of that and we start to go man i feel so insignificant the reality of that is what we need to understand is that the god that we serve is bigger than that that he he is the, the bible says that he just spoke and it came into existence that the degree of power and who he is is just unfathomable to us but then there's this twist that says you're not insignificant. As a matter of fact, the, the God who made all of that knows your name, knows the number of hairs on your head, created you individually and uniquely, and has a ministry and a plan and a purpose for your life. So it says that, that, that we're blessed when we have that relationship in proper perspective. And the reason that we're really blessed in that is because it changes how we behave so that we don't hurt ourselves. When we begin to understand that God is big enough to listen to and that he knows and that he understands that we can put our trust and our faith in him, that we can trust him for what he says and understand that there's blessing in it. He's not just a God who's, who's just withholding all the good things from us. I don't want you to have this or that or don't do this. You know, before I was a, a believer, I would try to read the Bible, and I would be like, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. What shall thou do? (laughs) Looks like you can't do anything, and God is killing everybody. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But you know what I see now today? Because I came into a right relationship with God, and the, the Creator creature relationship got, got, got in its right perspective. And I, I began to understand that this God is worth listening to. He's, he's worth my allegiance. He's, he's faithful for me to put my, his, to have him as my authority in my life. And now I see my freedom. I understand now that in those do not do's, God is saying, don't hurt yourself. Don't, don't hurt yourself. Don't, don't compromise your freedom. Stay free. See, because when God tells us things like don't lie, What he's saying is stay free, right? And we have a decision to make at at, at the time where we have the opportunity to lie. And I know you, this doesn't apply to you guys, but it does to me, okay? Um, When we tell a lie, we're now in bondage, right? We, We just went into the bondage of the lie. You gotta remember who you told. You gotta remember what you told them. You gotta tell more to cover it up. And you gotta live in constant fear of being exposed for your lie. You just lost your freedom, right? So God is good, he has good ways for us, and we're blessed, we're happy. This is a beatitude, this is a proclamation that says there is blessing and goodness from following God's ways. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 1-7 associates wisdom in this life with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What, the, what God is telling us is that we really need to hear from him. See, at a certain point in time in my life, I recognized that I was driving the bus of my life over a cliff and what I needed was a new driver. I needed to get out of the driver's seat because the direction that I was taking my life was destructive. It wasn't working well. You see, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. James goes on to tell us this. It says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You see, the Bible says that there is a direct link between the reality of our identity and God's word, and that the link into that is the application of God's Word into our lives. See, if we're just a reader, and we just hear, and we're just a consumer, and we just take in information, but we don't act upon it, then the Bible says we don't even really know who we are. We don't even really know what we were created for or the purposes or the goodness that God really has for us. You see, if, if we don't apply this, if you don't apply this to your life, it won't help you. It only helps when we apply it, when we live under this authority, when we understand it and we walk in it and we understand God's good ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Not if, but when, that ultimately we all eat of the fruit of our hands. It's the law of the harvest. Galatians 6 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows this, he will also reap. There's a reality, and I think that we're, we're really experiencing this much in our nation today, right? That we, we began in our nation to throw bad seed as a culture. We, we, we rejected God. We rejected Him out of, out of schools. We've rejected Him out of our workplace. We've, we, we, we've become a secular society. And now, guess what? It's not that God is just mean. This is the natural consequence. Eventually, it catches up. You sow a seed into the ground, you don't immediately get a plant. The first thing it does is does what? Do you may know? It's the first thing that happens with a seed. It grows roots. Everything roots down itself before anything comes out of the top. And then as it comes out of the top, you don't immediately get the fruit off of it, Right? And if we were making corn or whatever, um, eventually we'd get a whole corn stock and we'd get a whole lot more seeds back than what we put in, wouldn't we? It's not a one-for-one one trade. And so, so, so it just teaches us that, that, that whatever seeds we're sowing in our lives, whatever we're building on, whatever foundationally we're laying our foundation in our life on, eventually there's a harvest that comes out of that. The great thing about it is that if we turn it around, if we step up as the church, which I believe it's, I don't believe it's too late. I have hope for this. But if we step it up as the church, if we begin to live as the church, and that's, again, I'm gonna keep pushing. You didn't come to church, you brought the church with you. Church is people. Church isn't buildings. Church isn't this sermon. Church is God's people doing God's bidding fulfilling his kingdom work in the world around us and in our community around us. And if we do that, guess what? It might not be tomorrow, but we'll start to lay some roots down in some things, some good roots, and eventually things will start to pop up. As they pop up, eventually we'll reap out of them, and not just us, but I think we have to really start to get focused on the next generation, right? They're ultimately our security. These kids that were up here is why we invest into them. It's why we do these things, Children's Church. It's why we're so grateful for people who who teach and who give their time to, to teach up there. It's why we do VBS and some of the things we do, because our kids are our hope. They're our future. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. There's a good return for this. It, it, it talks about this, and, and, and it talks about, I think, in particular, sometimes uh, there's, there's a real call and there's a real need, I think, in the world around us for, for the men of God to begin to step up and stand up and lead their families, to, to lead them in, in the way that God has called us to lead. Ephesians 5.25 says this. Um, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church." because we are members of his body. For, his, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. I did a wedding last night, and and, and, the, and the beautiful thing about a wedding is that a wedding is a, it, it's, a it's a mirror. It's a, it's a shadowing of the very nature and the character of God. And, and husbands are, are called to, to be men who serve as a leader in their home, but as servants, not as a king on the top of this thing, but, but desiring to see their family flourish, to, just, to, to be sold out to their wife's interest and to see her flourish, to see their children flourish. Problem with us is that we, we get selfish, we get wrapped up into our own agendas, and then we, we forget that our job, our first ministry is at home. Our first ministry is with our families, and we've got to get back to this. You see, the idea, the idea of marriage and family is what we have to recapture in this culture. It's what we have to begin to once again throw seeds into that because this is the cornerstone by which God has organized society is the family. And it's, and it's, it's what the enemy is attacking right now is the family and attacking marriage and attacking these different things. And, 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 it's, and it's went on, and it's happened, and there have been these seeds, and, and, and culturally, we're beginning to reap out of this. And, and it's, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of chaos in the world around us. There's a lot of struggles, and you can almost, there, there's so much of it that you can just directly identify right back to the family and the struggles that we're having today in our family. I'm not throwing rocks. We've had our own, okay? But what I'm saying and what I know is that this is what we foundationally have to get back to. This is what we foundationally as the church have to begin to promote and to to push forward is the idea and the agenda of what does this look like. See, marriage isn't a random thing that God just gave. He didn't look down at Adam and Eve and go, God, what am I going to do with him? I'll, I'll I'll do marriage. No, marriage is a picture of the Trinity. It's a picture of the relationship that God has had within himself for all eternity past within the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, each honoring the other, seeking the the glorification of of really the other, not seeking themselves, but living in perfect harmony in a love relationship that has existed forever in the past. And, and, And the family becomes its own triune unit where we have a husband, a wife, and out of that union comes children. And then those children go out, and they, and they create their own families, and, and, and it goes on, and we create community, and this thing gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and it gets bigger. But it's God's plan, and, and the problem with us today is that we've deviated from God's plan. We began to just do it the way that we do it. We do it the way that the world does it. We do it in ways that seem to make sense to us, but they really aren't blessing us. Matthew 12, verse 48 through 50, it says, But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. So there's, a, there's another idea of, of family within this, and, and that family is church. It's church family, and Jesus is saying that, that there is a connection, there's a spiritual connection with the people of God that, have, that they have with one another. And where maybe somebody doesn't have family, or maybe their family life is broken, we're meant to be a hospital, a place of, 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 of repair, a place of restoration. We've been given a ministry of, of reconciliation, a ministry of wholeness, a ministry of health. And, and our church family is really an important thing. And without it, I mean, I don't know about, I can't even imagine doing life without a church family. And, and okay, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say it, and, and I want everybody to hear it in the right spirit. It's, it's not about you know, where we're at today. But eventually, when everybody is at a certain point and we're at comfort levels, we gotta get back to church. We, we, online church isn't church. It, it's a tool. It's fantastic. It's a blessing when we use it um, in the way that it's meant to be when we're, when we're sick or sick kids or, or, or traveling or out of town or a way to stay connected. But it's not a substitute for church because church isn't just the influx of information into our heads. Church is relational It's a relational relationship in which we come together, we hear a message, and then we encourage each other. We encourage each other to go out, to go out the doors, and to be the church. It meets at different times and within different homes and with different families, and the idea is that we would corporately understand the mission, the great co-mission that we're joining with Jesus in to spread the gospel around the world. So, not trying to be mean, but I'm just saying that church is personal thing. You, you can't be an island and really still call it church. Now, those things can be great tools, and I'm, I'm all for, you know, hey, go check it out. Go, go listen to some good folks, uh, some great speakers or whatever, but don't substitute that for what church is really meant to be, which is the gathering, the gathering of God's people together. Okay, that's all I have to say about that right now. <laughs> Behold, for thus shall be the man, shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. This is a, it's a picture. It, it, it says that, that, that when we live within God's prescriptions, that not just us, but our families will be blessed, that, that they'll begin to prosper. And then it goes on to say that the Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. See the hope and the prayers that we would see the uh, prosperity of Sheridan right? Because we're living in Sheridan as light and salt, a a place of hope, a refuge, an opportunity for people to come and, and to know Jesus and to know the goodness of following the Lord. You see, we're supposed to stand out. You're supposed to look a little bit weird out there because we're doing it different. And because we're doing it different, we're getting a different result. We want to see our community prosper. We want to see Sheridan prosper. We want to see our nation prosper. Indeed, may you see your children's children. May you see your grandkids. That's a, somebody, I can't remember who said it, but they said, you know, grandchildren are a blessing from the Lord for not killing your own kids when you wanted to. (laughs) May we see our grandchildren, may we we be a part of that, may we see the next generation flourish because of how we live today, because of the seeds we began to plant today in our own lives as we were building our own lives and our families and our homes. And then it says, peace be upon Israel, shalom, wholeness. Not just just the absence of conflict, not just us over here in our corner and, and, and everybody's leaving us alone, but a completeness, a wholeness that exists within our whole nation. That's the goal. That's the A plan. And, and guess what? Guess who God's plan or who his, his uh, what I want to say, his, his folks for fulfilling the A plan are? Who is it? It's us. It's us. It's the church. All right. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, equip us. Lord, may we foundationally build everything about our lives on you. May we understand and have the right relationship and understand you as our creator, Lord, that you're good, that you're sovereign, that you're all-powerful, that you're beyond what we can even imagine, but that you know us and that you've made us and you've equipped us and you've, you've uniquely knit us together for a ministry within our community, at our work, at our school. Wherever we find ourselves, Lord, you've, you've called us to be light. You've called us to be salt. You've called us to preserve and to illuminate within the culture that we live in. So Lord, help us to, to know and understand that things shift in culture, but you stay the same. You're the only thing that's really uh, faithful enough for us to build on. And so, Lord, we just want to commit ourselves to you. We want to commit this church community to you, Lord. We want to commit our families to you, Lord. And where we've fallen short and where we haven't done things right, we pray, Lord, you'd help us. That you come beside us, Lord, guide us and teach us. May you give us wisdom where we're lacking it. And, Lord, may we become doers of your word, not just hearers, but may we apply it to our lives that we might truly know the identity, the meaning, the purpose that you've mapped out for us as individuals. We ask that in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.